So, Ethan, Starbucks will pay for online school? Yeah, they'll, they'll pay for, I think, four years. I'm not sure about master's, but they'll definitely pay for a bachelor's from Arizona State University. You know, I have a friend who went, got her PhD from Arizona State. Of course, that's residential. She was there for, I think, six years. Uh, her name when I knew her was Jen Marmo. She speaks very highly of Arizona State. Are you intrigued at all by uh, the idea? Uh, here's the thing. It's online. So, yes, it's paid for, but I've been online for 10, 10 months now since February. Um, part of junior year, part of senior year. I don't know if I, how proud I would be to say I've been online for my freshman through senior year of college. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, that'd even be if rough. my employer's paying for it, because that also means I need to stay working for while I'm in school um, pretty much full time. So, I don't know. That's, yeah, that would be different. I, I don't think, yeah, I just, I can't see it. I mean, I've, I'm three years into an online PhD program, but it's so different to do that after having done on-campus residential yeah. undergrad. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to a college experience. Not like I don't, I don't have a college that I'm totally bent on, but I know, I know every, everyone, once they get to their college, typically just are diehard about that college and proud of their team sort of thing. So I'm sure I'll just find my way to the right family. You hopefully, know hopefully yeah. so. Well, it's been, uh, I feel like it's been a while since we've gotten together to do one of these. I know we've been kind of throwing in bonus episodes the last couple of months. Five-minute teasers and whatever. <laughs> oh, yep, yeah. yep. We did get that one in. But today is going to be a full-length episode. Uh, and before we get there, uh, just on the off chance that any of our listeners actually care about what our team has been doing, uh, I am very excited to announce that uh, this past semester we've managed to go to six tournaments We've had really strong middle school participation and really good high school participation. We competed locally, regionally, and nationally, uh, all without leaving either home or school on mm -hmm. days that we can compete from school, which is really exciting. Looking ahead to next quarter, uh, we're finally going to get back to some Dogwood League tournaments because the calendar just didn't line up. Uh, but that's going to happen. I'm really excited about the Stanford University tournament in February. Yeah. I think that's going to be really cool. And, of course, we've got another Coolidge tournament coming up. with, uh, And the Coolidge Foundation is doing something new this year with a declamation contest. Right. And this one of the Dogwoods is potentially in person. Is that right? So I checked, with, I checked on that with a couple people. And the website does say that it will be potentially in person. Uh, the first week of January, there's going to be a meeting of whoever the high council of dogwood coaches is i'm not on that yeah, crawford's probably on that crawford's on yeah. that miss boswell's on that I, i'm sure rj pelicata carry academy's on that there's probably five or six of them and they're going to decide whether or not it's in person when i asked crawford his response was like no <laughs> there is no way we are having an in-person tournament so we'll, we'll see. I keep hoping each week that I'm just going to wake up and COVID will have magically vanished and life will get back to normal. I'm, I'm rather afraid that we're going to have forgotten what normal is after having done things with COVID in mind Ima yeah, for imagine, so long. Imagine how awkward people are going to be when quarantine's over. How are we going to interact with each other? Like, I'm just thinking everyday interactions. Like, I'm a barista and I serve coffee to people. There's going to be some awkward customers, man. Do you have up. any customers that you've never actually seen their full faces? Oh, yes. Like I, Literally, my, my team at Starbucks, I started in December, so I've seen them with face masks longer than I've seen them without. And when they take them off to eat lunch, I'm like, I barely recognize my own coworkers. When we first started back in July, being in school with masks on, I was like, how am I going to know what people look like? And I found I've gotten really – you can do a lot of emotions through eyebrows. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. 
But then a few times I've now been in places where people haven't had masks or we're okay to relax the rule for a little bit or something. And then I'm like, who is that? Oh, and I have to almost mentally put the mask on. And it's so strange. That's crazy. That's just messed up. Well, enough of uh, talking about what I'm sure everybody who has listened to our show is very familiar with. Uh, Ethan, what's the January-February resolution? States ought to ban lethal autonomous weapons. I'm really excited about this resolution. I it's think it's a gonna cool be a one. It's, it's definitely a cool one. It's out there for sure. It's not about nukes or some kind of you know socialist thing. So it's true. We are this time dealing with something much more uh, tangible in a way, except for the fact that at least from what little bit of reading I've done so far, this doesn't yet exist. Yeah. That's so, that's the conclusion. I'm with you there. Yeah. So, far. so we, I mean, I mean, someone's going to find some kind of development program in some foreign country and then make something out of that. But for now, I guess the general consensus. We are talking then about a theoretical position where AF is going to be arguing primarily about banning something preemptively, and Neg is going to be looking at the necessity of keeping this this thing, uh, keeping the possibility of research and development. So in both sides. Which is unusual. Usually we have one that's theoretical and one that's one that's real world. In this case, both sides we have should be a little bit hypothetical. Yeah, that's a really cool thing too, because an egg can't just come back and be like, Yeah, well we're looking at the practical like implications of this and AF is just like well, yeah, but I, I don't have the status quo. Like it, you need to give me like yeah, none of that. Nobody right. has a status quo. So that'll be fun. Well, I think a lot of this is going to come down to definitions and frameworks. So I think we'll spend most of this uh, episode looking at definitions and framework with a few thoughts on basic arguments as we go along uh, with some recommendations on sources here at the end. Okay, so the first thing I need to mention is if anyone happened to listen to our five-minute teaser, they probably heard that we misstated the resolution, and I thought we were talking just about the United States, which is not oh, correct. It's states. States. Yeah. Ethan, what does states add to this resolution? What does that do for the debate? It's, it's essentially, so it just makes it a plural and that you can't, you have a larger burden of proof is one thing because you have to sort of encompass mm-hmm. everybody who has the potential for these weapons. That's how, how it kind of worked out with the LD nukes last year at Durham Academy is that states just meant any country that applies to whatever the predicate of the resolution is, is the general way people work with it, which I really love states when they put that in a resolution because it's a strong enough word so that people can't mess with it too much, mm-hmm. but it also limits the scope of the resolution exactly to who has what. If that makes sense. Yeah, we're not talking about some kind of private buyer, super rich dude who bought his own nuke. We're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about Bill Gates put a lethal autonomous weapon system yeah. in front of his mansion. That's outside of this resolution. Right. Which it, it makes it so nice because usually when people see United States or they'll see some kind of like other label on it, it's they're attentive enough to it so that they can mess with it somehow and do some mm-hmm. cool definition stuff. Like those higher ups at Harvard would definitely try something like that. States is so general that people just glaze over it and move on, which, which makes I, it the perfect word for right. Uh, I do think if you do glaze over and move on, you've opened yourself up to a couple of problems that Neg should should take advantage of since AF has burden of proof. Um, it's important to keep in mind we're not talking just about the United States. We're also not defaulting to some sort of international body like the United Nations or NATO or the EU or anything mm-hmm. like that. We are talking about specific states. These are the nation states. So affirmative has a burden of proof to argue in favor of really – I. Uh, either you're going to have to define which states this re- the debate is about, or you have to take an implied universal that you are arguing for all states doing this. Right, and it 
in this case, it makes sense to do universal because nobody actually has these. So you could argue that eventually every state might gain the potential to have these and then therefore just ban them. Right. So it's, which is going to get into some of the, uh, the arms race arguments that we'll cover. Here in yeah. A few minutes, which I is, think. this is so weird because when I think of lethal autonomous weapons, I sort of do think of the Bill Gates thing that you brought up or like a private, not privatized, but almost like domestic use of these weapons for security reasons, not like civil war type stuff. But when I think of lethal, lethal autonomous weapons, my first thought was actually some type of internal security within a state. But this is talking about relations between states, maybe. But all of them should ban them. So I guess that would have domestic benefits for each one as well that you would have to weigh. It prob- well, I don't, I don't even know what those domestic benefits would be. I know – I think your primary <coughs> benefit is going to be that if every state signs on to some kind of unilateral – Agreement. None of us will pursue lethal autonomous weapons research. They're going to have a parity in military power. So, which brings in some of the arguments we previously explored in terms of nuclear weapons and um, what's the, the the term for when you you disincentivize someone from pursuing nuclear warfare? Oh, um, deterrence. Yeah, deterrence. Yeah, uh, there, there's some of the deterrence arguments will come in there as well. We're thinking like, okay. We've got to either all be on board with this or we all have to basically be equally ranked or I'm the weak country yeah. that everyone's going to attack. Everyone, it's all or nothing with these types of things. Which I think is, is going to be uh, – is probably a good point to go in on, on ought for a moment because this I think is a strong resolution for a good moral argument mm. uh, in the sense that and, – and just so our listeners are, are clear, I mean it's uh, – I used to think that if you could kind of like – wave a big morality flag, that was enough, it's not enough. You need to pair a strong moral argument with good arguments with lots of evidence. Are you talking about nukes? Well, no, I'm talking about this resolution in particular, because like what you've got is you have to make the case for why states should not pursue lethal autonomous weapons. And you need to make the argument for why this ultimately is wrong, why it's bad. And you have to, if you can do that, if you can cling tightly to that and pair it with good evidence, you have an unassailable case. Yeah, let's talk about evidence for a second because this is a massive like thing that I noticed last year with nukes is that, okay, impacts are not evidence. And like having a case that's made up of a framework and impacts to, to connecting to climate change or well, I guess nuclear war would be appropriate for the nuclear the nukes resolution. But in any other resolution, those sorts of things, linking a framework to impacts is not the same thing as having evidence. Evidence is having warrant for the claim that you're making. And then you impact it to help you weigh it in the resolution. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to put that out there now because you know how impact heavy these sorts of cases can get, especially when it's involving like a global sort of thing because you always have that attachment to either climate change or nuclear war. Um, it's not it's not so much like an annoyance thing. It's just like a, an opportunity cost. Like if you if you spend that much time on impacts, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to connect your evidence to your claim as well. So I had to say that. No, no, no it's, a, it's a great point. It's, a, it's always worth remembering that – uh, the standard argument format the NSDA encourages debaters to use is the claim, warrant, impact structure. And really, it's a good argument structure. And when teams jump, when they drop the warrant, their impacts don't actually connect to the claim as much as they might tell you that, as much, they even use that line, judge, I tell you that, blah, 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 blah. No, you don't tell yeah. me anything if I don't have strong warrant. Because you, the debater, are not trustworthy without lots of borrowed credibility from standard sources that 
establish what you're saying is actually believable. Yeah, and lack of link and lack of evidence is the best place to go for rebuttal in these sorts of cases. If you come across a really impact-heavy case, the first place you should look is, is the evidence there, is the link there. Can you actually, do you have access to all those impacts that you just laid out? Which is especially, which is why it's especially helpful to call for cards. Or uh, in our current era of online debate, uh, on NSDA campus, there's a file share tool. I've encouraged our debaters to not really worry about holding on to their cases. Just drop your case in and ask for the other person's case. And take, to pr- take prep time to look at the quality of their evidence. I know you've you've found some real bozos in the uh, the briefs that we use sometimes. I mean, like oh I oh my gosh. Okay, one note on the brief. Hopefully, I don't think anyone from Champion Briefs listen to this, but um, maybe maybe yeah. Okay, so I saw if and, you are listening, someone from Champion Briefs, and particularly if the NSDA wants to buy out our podcast, we are happy to entertain oh offers <laughs> with lots of money. You can send those offers to what's the res at gmail Oh man, yeah, I don't know if they'll be on board with that after what I have to say. Go but, for it. I saw this one card in the LG briefs that was about, it was the voting, compulsory voting. And it was literally an article from the Huffington Post with bullet points on why teenagers should vote. Like, it was like one of those little tidbit pieces that you just click on on Google because it accidentally came up and you're just like, well, let me just read the first three. I think one of the biggest harms that the internet has done is to establish, it, it feeds a general association people have with thinking, ah, it's on the internet, so it must be believable. Which is not true, and I think every debate coach has some lesson where we try and teach kids what is credible evidence and what is not. But the card cutting can make almost anything look like it is, in fact, a credible source. Yeah, so may, I guess we could move on to ought and definitions. That was a lot of time on states, sort of sure. little side note. <laughs> Uh, the big thing I would suggest on ought is uh, really just know what kind of argumentation you're going to go with. Uh, if you're going to follow my advice and go with a traditional framework and actually run a values case, then recognize that that's exactly what you're doing and do not yield a single inch of ground on the moral framework. Uh, but if you hear that and think, ugh, that's terrible, that never wins, I'm just not even going to do that, that's fine. If you want to like go embrace progressive LD and do one-man policy, um, I've also shifted in this from a year ago. I don't think that's necessarily like a terrible thing anymore. But the worst thing in the world is to have affirmative be traditional values and negative be one-man policy, and then both cases go right past each other, and neither of them recognizes that they have totally different approaches on the resolution. So if you are in that position, be sure to point out, Judge, I'm arguing on a traditional LD framework. My opponent is doing a totally different one. I'm still going to respond to his. But please note that he has to engage my framework on the level that I introduced it because I have the burden uh, burden of proof and I have speak first and he has to clash with my actual case. Yeah. Um, I think this resolution in particular is great for a good moral argument. But what you what you said is really true. You can't, especially in affirmative, you can't win that strong moral framework if you don't stick to it. It's like you need to, the judge needs to see that you believe this almost for it to be that compelling. Because util, it's like, yeah, anybody can run util and win on that. But with, you know, like I see the categorical imperative. We're going to talk about something on here, a Kantian framework. Yep. Um, I think dignity or something is a big one that people like to run sometimes. Um, you, if you yield like a centimeter of ground, you'll, you can't have it. You just need to be all in. It's like, it's, it's all cards on the table kind of totally. thing. Totally. Yeah. 
Now the, the, the biggest, uh, biggest framework I've seen this year at least, that's probably been around, I just haven't run into it, uh, but I've seen a lot of kids run a morality value and then an existence value criterion, and then that they don't mean anything by morality. They just use that to say it and get out of the way, and they read a canned existence argument that then lets them go all in on impacts. And yeah, see, no, right, it's an impacts yeah. case. Okay, I've seen not morality existence, I've seen morality util. Morality in LD is a placeholder as a value. It's just something to hold. It's to check the box of having a value and then use util as a criteria. And now, don't get me wrong. Everybody's okay with it, right? I don't see anybody having... I'm sure you've voted for those cases because you probably run up against two debaters. They both have it, right? Back to that Reddit page you told me about months ago. The, uh, the debate stuff. stuff I, stuff I hated to upvote oh, page. R slash yes. angry upvote for all the Redditors out there. I'm sure you know that one. But yeah, so it's like, oh, just take the upvote, whatever. But... Morality is a placeholder. It kind of bothers me, right? Like, I give it the angry upvote sometimes, too. It's just the way it is. But, I mean, all the more power to you to run that traditional LD affirmative and stick to your ground on it. I think that's going to be really refreshing to some of the ears of the judges. Well, especially with, especially in a resolution where you don't actually have existent lethal autonomous weapon systems to analyze, you really, in that case, you need to, we're arguing about something before the tech exists. So you have the, you have the grounding in the resolution itself to explain, judge, we're deciding about this before we have it so that we're not we're not doing it the other way around. We're not inventing the technology and then deciding if it's right or wrong to use. We're going to decide this first before we sink millions of dollars as a country into research and development. So you've got a strong position to argue for ought as the moral imperative here. Right. You want to go ahead and give the Department of Defense official definition of something that doesn't exist yet? Sure. Uh, the Department of Defense has uh, put together a couple of documents that we'll link in the, in the show description. Uh, but one of those documents defines the lethal autonomous weapon system as, quote, uh, weapon systems that, once activated, can select and engage targets without further intervention by a human operator. Now, they are careful to explain this doesn't mean there's no human uh, involvement at all. The human involvement is at the level of programming and setting the parameters that the, uh, el- that the autonomous weapons will then operate under. Uh, so <clears throat> what we're talking about, I mean, this is... This is the next evolution of drones. These are self-driving tanks that have pre-programmed targets. Uh, these are uh, some other adaptation of that same idea. These are weapons that are pre-programmed to identify the target, and if the certain parameters are met, they will then execute a kill order based on those parameters. Was it you that told me about the Tesla that was behind a truck that was painted blue and it just drove straight into it because that it was looked not like the sky? Me, okay. But that sounds really interesting. Yeah, yeah, so like that just came to my mind when it when it comes to autonomous technologies. Is like someone told me a story about a Tesla um, that recognized a truck or didn't recognize a truck that was in front of it because it was painted light blue and the sky background behind it was light blue, so it just drove straight into the truck and killed the driver. So, granted, like Tesla, I'm not saying Teslas are bad cars, right? It's a developing technology. Right. Like, how do you expect? That's the question. How do you expect a machine to get that right every time? If you set the parameters like this level of blue, like these these sort of darkness factors, I guess, against the background, it's like at some point, it's not going to match up. Which uh, gets is one of the other questions I think that particularly uh, Neg, uh, or I'm sorry, that AF should should be ready to raise. I mean, is that what is the time frame within which? It, technology develops from being mediocre to sufficient to excellent. How long does that typically take? 
And how much of that are we willing to wade through when we're talking about lethal weapons? Is it really autonomous if somebody sets the parameters? Because the, the execution is autonomous, but... I mean, who who gets killed and who doesn't is predetermined, I guess. You well, could say. kind of, but I mean, the the autonomous part is coming in with the the system is self governing. So let's just say hypothetically uh, that it's two thousand five, and we're still we have uh, fifty thousand American troops in Iraq as part of uh, the uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and uh, the Pentagon authorizes a lethal autonomous weapons system. And now you have your job as the chief coding officer is to program drones to uh, I, to patrol a specified area and release bombs on uh, for if if these six pieces people mm-hmm. come up. So you take the sketch artist descriptions of the six terrorists and you enter in uh, sex, ethnicity, uh, whatever. Uh, expected clothing parameters, whatever information you can give the machine, and then you turn your drones loose, and they're flying, and... And then just some lookalike comes along and gets bombed for no reason? I mean, it's really easy to imagine ways this can go wrong. Yeah. I mean, uh, but again, uh, I was just reading um, uh, Gabe Walker's senior thesis. Uh, Part of it is looking at the ways that facial recognition technology has improved over the years. He has he cited some studies where they're up to ninety nine point six percent accuracy. Wow! But what about that point four percent? Right. Well, <laughs> if that point four percent has missiles coming at their cars, yes, yeah, so I hear you till entering the chat here. Right? It's like right? oh, point four percent. Like ninety nine point six percent of people are going to get killed justifiably. Now, before we go on to uh, framework, I do want to mention I think there's room for fun definitions as well. Uh, because I read the formal definition as, as it exists. Um, I've also been toying around with an art and I'd, I'd love, so if anybody wants like, Ooh, I don't care if I win. I just want to see if I can make this argument stick. Please try this, write us right into us. Let us know how it goes. I wonder how, um, basically how things that people make that are self-moving and self-governing, if they're not these actual formal weapon systems, but can kill people, do they count as lethal autonomous weapons? So like a Hot Wheels car that someone slips on? No, I'm thinking more like, this is a comic book thing, but I'm thinking of a, uh, of a, of a DC comic book character named Swamp Thing, who is a combination of Mother Earth, chemical explosions, and a dead guy who falls into a swamp. And all of those combine into like a creature made of living vines. Now, if he kills people, he's self-governing, he's lethal, is he a lethal autonomous weapon? I mean, that would be the same thing as a human being a lethal autonomous weapon, right? Which, last week I read an article about the, uh, apparently the uh, government of, uh, of France, France has yeah. sunk several million dollars worth of uh, uh, euros into developing uh, biological improvements to their soldiers, creating bionic soldiers. Yes, those are not lethal autonomous weapons. I will contend with you on that. I, but Do you think they are? Do you, well, I mean, in that same sense, like you'd have to extend that to every soldier, which could be a great uh, – you say every soldier is a lethal autonomous weapon system, and we're training them to become more lethal that, and more that autonomous. That would be cool. That would be cool. Except I guess like where do you draw the line between autonomous and manual, right? Because we think of doing things manually when a human has to do it – By hand. It, like in the moment and voluntarily, right? So I guess – 
that's where you draw the line where there's no there's no voluntary action in the moment and you're not doing it by hand i guess maybe is the most simple way to think about it now of course you're also if you run any of these more fun definitions like honestly if you ran this against this, me this in a practice like, round i'm pulling out my t-shell so fast i'm, I'm hitting topicality like, yeah this needs to be like an <laughs> o and four type of move exactly exactly so if you're gonna go at stanford and you you you're at you're at round six and you're oh and five just like screw it i want to have fun i'm gonna run swamp thing please let me know how it goes that would be awesome okay uh, now i wrote out some framework thoughts yes. before uh, and I, I assume we should probably do the. I'll kind of run through it in a minute, and you tell me what you think. But okay. do you have any? What are your initial framework thoughts on this resolution, Ethan? As a as a competitive debater, what do you initially see accessible for setting up good arguments here? Util always, especially since you brought up that study about percentages, right? Because when you're talking about technology, there's always going to be a margin of error, and in this case, that margin of error involves lethality, right? So that gives you immediate access to utilitarianism and winning on util as well because you have the clear majority on your side if you can prove it with good evidence. Um, I, so I'm going to cheat because I saw that you put Kant on here and I'm just going to go ahead and agree with you ahead of time on that one um, because this, this resolution is talking about either an all or nothing universal approach versus no approach at all because it yet it doesn't exist yet so we're going to have it or we're not going to have it and states are going to sign off on a universal sort of term when i hear that word i think emmanuel kant and categorical imperative um and i think it's even more prudent to use it because you're talking about even though the weapons are autonomous you're still talking about humans engineering these weapons um and the, i think the categorical imperative could be really useful here for sort of discovering who is responsible for the action, like where the agency lies, which is a huge part of this resolution. Because I think one side of the debate could try to distance the human from it more. One side could try to put the human closer to it. Um, distance would be um, negative and the other would be affirmative. I just did that fast. I could have got that wrong. Um, so yeah, definitely a Kantian framework, definitely a util framework. Um, you're getting further away from things like justice and equality now because we're not talking about, um, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, the last resolution, compulsory voting, even this is not a this is this not, is not a, a social life politics no, kind of no thing. Equity, this is a military oppression. Yeah, this is question. international relations. Like I, it's a refresher, honestly, from everything we've been debating so far. So it's a great way to start the year. A refresher or it is refreshing? Oh yeah, we serve refreshers at Starbucks. And then, <laughs> yeah, so if it, if the strawberry I say refresher with lemonade is really good for anyone who wants to try it. Well, since, uh, Ethan, you already introduced it, I'll start with the, my thoughts on a Kantian framework. Uh, I would begin with uh, going back to remember kind of some of the basics of Immanuel Kant's ethical theory. Kant starts with the idea that rationality is key to moral action. He's actually fine with there being uh, uh, extra human moral actors. He just specifies in the groundwork that so far humans are the only rational creatures we know of. Uh, fun, fun side note. I love that he allows possibility for a rational alien life. I just That's kind of cool. imagine Immanuel Kant starring in like a Men in Black type movie kind of thing. Anyway, rationality is key to moral action. And then uh, I think it's also fair to say there'd be pretty strong agreement on the idea that killing other humans is the ultimate moral action. Uh, that, that's the thing that we, in turn, societies kill people for and argue that it's just to kill murderers and so on. Uh, so the question is, is this act of killing justified or not justified? Is this a, a self-defense type killing or is this the murder of an innocent? And Kant would argue that we have to have a rational being making that decision. 
And that decision then, it mean, that means that human engagement is key. And we've got to use our rationality to exercise the categorical, a categorical imperative. So a lethal autonomous weapon can't do that. What it can do is apply its programming, which is different from rationality. So part of what could be really interesting to dig into is the difference between rational and reason and what is currently called artificial intelligence but is not self-governing. What we have are semi-artificially intelligent programs. Uh, they could, my brother is a coding engineer. He actually, uh, t I'm sorry, data scientist is his technical title. Uh, he was telling me a little bit, little bit about this. He's, his task at his old company was to literally create an AI chatbot, wow. which what that means is he creates a whole bunch of pre-programmed responses, links them all in a chain so that when you type your question in, if it's the right question, it triggers the right response, and then the chat box has all of these. The chat bot has all these different responses. It's not thought; it simulates. Right, right. Thought. But with AI, the point of AI, artificial intelligence, unlike a program, is to teach itself over time. Kind of new responses. That is the hope. No, that happens. Uh, sort of. Like I think it gets okay, really, okay, it gets really not, iffy. Yeah. In part. As I was looking at one article today from a website called TowardsDataScience.com that argues that racist data from humans creates racist biases inside programs. Uh, AI programs that do exist, uh, they get this from somewhere, and currently this article at least thinks it's from their programmers, uh, AI has racist biases. Meaning that it's not truly this completely value-neutral, self-governing, autonomous thing. Which is what I think the idea behind uh, the lethal autonomous weapon is. What that thing gives you access to, I think, is two different ways you could set up a Kantian framework. Uh, the first option is where you're, I would call the value here Kantian morality in the sense that an action is moral if the action is acting in accordance with existing moral law. And then have a value criterion of the categorical imperative. So the reason we ban lethal autonomous weapons is because of a lack of human agency and rational deliberation from the determination to kill somebody. Now, a second option that you could go with, I think, on the Kantian approach is to still start with Kantian morality, but instead of the categorical imperative, focus on Kant's idea of the kingdom of ends versus mm. the kingdom of means, where... Kant's articulating the same idea of, the, of his, his version of the moral law, but he frames it this way, that uh, most things that exist, we rational beings use as means to accomplish our end. But he insists that all rational beings are in, of them, are in and of themselves ends, and they, comp they are legislators in the kingdom of ends. When we confuse the categories is when an immoral action occurs. So if we treat another human being as a means, we have dehumanized them and we have destroyed their value as an end. In which case, I think the argument is there to say, aha, a lethal autonomous weapon is treating that person as a means to exercise this destructive capacity. And then you kind of, by removing the human element here, we are not... We're no longer treating the person who's being fired upon as if that person is an end, which requires deliberation. Instead, we're determining they're a means to be destroyed. So I think there's different ways you could use Kant there. What, what do you make of that those was arguments? A, that was a great way of articulating it. I think we have to be a little bit careful here using the categorical imperative because we're determining you, you need to make this unique to the lethal autonomous weapon. Like this action would be morally justified 
in the absence of the weapon, right? So unjustified murder isn't justified whether a law a lethal autonomous weapon does it or a human does it. But maybe the execution of one command that's, that a human would have done differently, we need to see that those cases are the most common form of cases so that this law can be applied in a, the most universal sense possible. Because it, it, this is the whole uniqueness argument, right? And you don't want someone to pull the uniqueness argument on your framework. That would be bad, right? So how do we get it? How do we engineer this framework so that it is specific to removing the lethal autonomous weapon where we have morality opened back up again sort of thing? I think part of that is going to come down to having a couple of examples that I, I think if you can land this, it's worth taking an extra Absolutely. 20, 30 seconds in framing time to make this stick. Um, there's one, at least one famous example where uh, there was a Russian uh, nuclear engineer who was working at a nuclear missile site during the 70s or 80s. The red light was blinking, which meant he was supposed to push the button that would have launched the nuclear missile at the United States. And he didn't. He exercised his judgment and said, odds are pretty good that what we have actually here is a faulty system rather than a direct command from Moscow to launch nuclear war. And he was right. It was a faulty system. So I think with a couple examples like that, if you can find some examples where like, Strict adherence to an absolute black and white command is actually going to cause much greater moral harm than a person who is going to look at that moment in its context and decide, actually, not going to fire the missile now because we're going to open diplomatic channels tomorrow. Can you imagine having the entire world in your hands like that? Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> that is amazing. Like that, I would read a book about that. I have it over there. It's called Death by Government. All the times your government no, has no, almost no, killed no. you. No, 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 no. About that guy oh, specifically. Okay. <laughs> that is the coolest thing. This guy had the entire globe in his hands right in front of this button. He's not alone. I mean, that, that kind of story has happened a that lot of times. That is so cool. I wish we could interview him. But <laughs> pretty sure I, that was 50 years ago, and we would probably need to know Russian. Oh. Well, yeah. So, yeah. But generally, I think the, the, the Kantian framework, it sounds like could work, but it would need to be nuanced and, and it would need to be supported by kind of showing the relevance of deliberation in making that kind of a choice. Yes, and to sort of outline this better, I think the best way to go is the categorical imperative in the sense that you're looking at universal law. Ends versus means gets tricky because I was listening to it, you justified it well, but you're either way a person's going to die. So yeah. like... You're, you're not treating them as an end by respecting their death through discernment, right? Like, well, I might be. I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that they are value. They are more valuable, valuable enough to merit some, a human actually weighing whether or not it is just or unjust for them to die in this moment. So it's in the same sense that, like, I can leave Canvas to auto grade your exam. And I'd be like, fine, wash my hands of it, done. Please don't. Or I could be like, out. nope, even though Canvas is right 98% of the time, I'm still going to physically look over Ethan's midterm and I'm going to find, ah, you wrote, this literally happened this year. I had um, Mill was a fill in the blank answer because we covered uh, on UTIL. Mm -hmm. And several students wrote John Stewart Mill. Canvas oh. flags it as wrong. 
I'm treating the students as an end worthy of time and judgment by going in and checking, did can't did the automatic grading system do its job? Okay, but how would not doing that be treating... What is... The, how are you treating them as a means if you don't do that? It means well, because I'm determining the... A like, means to laziness, not, maybe? No, 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 a means to efficiency. efficiency a means yeah, to, like, I'm, I'm not... It's not worth calculating whether or not there's a choice here. Like, I think it's... No, and this this may be you may be right. This may be too abstract to actually. I'm land. getting it now, but it, you definitely did spend a little time on it. Yeah, because I needed to ask a couple questions. But yeah. hey, if you do that, maybe your opponent will spend all their time on framework and cross, and then just kind of waste it. And then you could use your cross a little better. I don't know strategy, sort of time economy, sort of thing. Word economy on a util framework suggestion. Um, I would go. I would argue your value should be moral action. I, I think I've decided I hate. Morality as a value because it's empty. No one fills it with meaning. So talk about moral action, and the reason that value matters is that acting morally legitimizes governmental policy. Mm. Governmental policy that is acting in a known immoral way eventually destabilizes or delegitimizes itself over time. Uh, and then your value criterion under UTIL should be foreseeable consequences. And you can kind of that would let you that sets that kind of value criterion sets you up to recognize that you're dealing with a theoretical tech that doesn't exist yet. Right. And I just to adjust it a little bit, I would make the criterion consequentialism and then define it as foreseeable consequences sure. to make it like since it's a little bit more out there of a framework to make it more palpable and familiar mm -hmm. to what people are already used to. But yeah, I think. There's just because lethal autonomous weapons don't exist doesn't mean that there aren't things that have similar enough qualities to use make examples of. Like you have a, you have an example on here like hackability, right? Yep. I mean, if it's something that's autonomous, it doesn't have to be a lethal autonomous weapon for it to be hackable, right? Or right. I mean, we we see things hacked all the time. Yeah, but usually the things that can be hacked are not attached to drones that could fly through a major downtown city and shoot. yeah usually it's just equifax or something right yeah, yeah no big usually deal. we're talking about like did you go to the doctor or not like it's it's Teledoc, personal yeah. it's private but honestly it's not deadly uh this could be deadly if if a national enemy could take the united states air force and hack an autonomous system and suddenly can you we imagine have, our planes turned on us right like in bombing our cities that's a problem <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, also, uh, we got to also do. We mentioned this earlier, but programming errors are also part of that story. I mean, so what happens if you think you have programmed it correctly, but still there's human error involved? We've got to always keep that part in mind. Uh, Is there like going to be a kill switch or something? Maybe <laughs> it has to be, right? Okay, maybe you know you what think. someone's going to do? Someone's going to come up with this idea, or I guess me, right? Yay, because I'm doing it are going to have the idea of, like, a moderator. So it's a lethal autonomous weapon, but there's an overseer, right? Which is well, like, that actually in was in the Department of... That was in the Department of Defense document. Oh, so I can't there, say I came up with no, it. No, the, the DOD cool. thought of that first. Uh, but there... But how many systems is that moderator overseeing? That's, that's such a cheat. A moderator. <laughs> Come on. Like, that's so... Don't do that. No. Like, it's like, well, then it's perfect, right? Because it's perfectly... There's no moral agency whatsoever until there's about to be bad moral agency, and then the overseer steps in. It's like, no. If you're actively observing this, you're interfering with this process of autonomy somehow. You can't Ooh. just get away with that. 
Like, I would be so... I would vote against someone that did that. Because I'm probably going to be judging this, right? If there's novice division, I might get to judge this. Maybe. It depends yeah. on how Stanford has that set up. I don't know yet. Yeah, don't try that. That is... There's... Like, <laughs> literally, the other side just come up and say that's not fair. Because it's not. That you can't have all the benefits of removing complete autonomy but and there's just gets secu- i'm imagining like all the security cameras or there's that guy eating his cheetos or whatever just sitting in the chair yeah and once someone's about to die unjustifiably it just presses the button he's like oh wait no don't kill that person like yep not autonomous no that is an interesting question and that's going to toss it back to definitions and how that that original system is defined all right let's talk neg framing yes um i think this will go rather more quickly um I have three suggestions on neg framing. Uh, first would be a value criterion of governmental stability. I'm sorry, value of governmental stability criterion of military strength, where here your basic argument is that we have to compete, we have to have the best tech to maintain American strength. And really, every state is going to do the same thing. But if we're looking particularly from an American point of view, we negate because Russia and China are going to develop this. And if we don't have it as well, then we fall behind in military strength. I'm not a fan of that one, I don't think. I know it's the top one on the value sheet, but I think that gives Neg two things to prove in advance that haven't happened yet. Granted, arms race with nukes, right, is one thing. Um, but it, it's a lot in theory. And I think, again, I would call it an opportunity cost because government stability, military strength, it's like we need to do this in order to keep up with an arms race. Well, on affirmative, we're already assuming fiat that like the, the ban would happen if it went through. Right. So in that case, we wouldn't need to do the arms race. So essentially, this into, I guess my thought here is the entire argument is predicated on China or Russia doing something instead of the potential benefits of lethal autonomous weapons. So I think, I think I'm with you on the fact that affirmative has so many potential harms and can make it sound really bad with impacts. Like, when doesn't affirmative do that with literally every other case? Is right. like affirmative is the impact-heavy one, right? Um, and I guess neg whenever they run util, which is always. But I think it's – I would call this putting all your eggs in one basket by saying it's like, look, if, if someone has a card against an arms race – or if someone argues that we could do it again because we've done it before and it's on a different level than nukes and they nuance it. You know how debaters like make things sound not bad or, or really bad whenever they want to. That's the crux of the argument. There's no single benefit to um, lethal autonomous weapons that they could like say that's not a benefit and just like throw that out and you've got 10 more lined up. Right. So that, that's just I feel like that's one framework. It could be a strong one. If someone gets their hands on it, it might fall through. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that's true of most frameworks. I mean, like most frameworks are asserting a principle. All of these are going to have some Achilles heel. So if you have the right card, you can shred the framework. I I don't think picking the right framework is necessarily like a silver bullet to create a super strong case. It's a beginning point. Uh, If you have evidence to be able to say, look, Russia and China are actively developing this tech uh, and in part – Pair it with um, cyber terrorism and cybersecurity problems, and are because like Russia and China both have dedicated groups that are trying to hack other countries' stuff. Like I think you could, I think you could make something out of it. I don't think it's necessarily the best framework. Just the fact that it's first on my list doesn't okay. really mean anything. I thought that may have been that yeah. you thought of it first. No, no, so. no. I just think it's a it's a route to go. I think it's the most obvious route to go. It wasn't obvious to me, so I guess oh, we just think okay. differently here. Well, yeah, which I mean, is, which is like, great because that's it's what, the same. I, mean, I think it's the same argument really for any kind of military tech is. It's justified in terms of, well, the other people are going to have this, so we have to have it too, so that we can do both offense and defense. Right. I'm just thinking if I'm asking myself 
there was actually this one debater. I, I have his number in my phone somewhere. He was awesome. He taught me so much stuff. For the first time in college, eighth grade, he was so cool. And he said that the first thing he does whenever analyzing resolution is mm-hmm. asking all of the questions that that resolution begs. Uh-huh. So in this case, what is states? What is ought? Who has lethal autonomous weapons? All this stuff. It was a really cool way to like right. sort of approach a resolution. In this case, one of those questions for me would be, what would we what would we lose by banning lethal autonomous weapons? And in this, and you're saying government stability. In my head, the answer to that, when I look at this framework, sounds like we're losing the ability to compete in an arms race. And I don't know Which how- is directly tied to our military strength, which is also tied to our governmental stability. Uh, this is kind of arguing on a, I think last, one of the last research packets we got talked about a, an American hegemony argument that this is kind of modeled on. So is this just saying that other states won't comply so that, oh wait, no, well this isn't US, this is all right. states. This is saying all states, like basically like everybody needs this to keep up. It's the, it is the nuclear arms race argument applied to a new tech. But if we ban it, then nobody will need it. Now then there's the, there's the other side, which would be like, okay, everybody will sign a ban. How many people are actually going to follow a ban? Okay, but listen, how are, that's my question here is how are you going to prove that somebody's going to cheat on something that doesn't even exist? Like, Prior examples of don't people. Don't give yourself that burden. Oh, don't well, do that. there's that. Yeah. Number uh, two, uh, or the suggestion number two, uh, value is progress. And in this case, your criterion is control of tech. I think this one is already – this one is looking at where affirmative is probably going to go with all the ways the tech can backfire. Right. And this argument is basically uh, – you, you have a similar – it's a similar approach to the arms race idea, but your focus is not on – it's not on um, – it's not on military offense or defense. Instead, it's on progress of technology and application of technology and the fact that we can control the way the technology develops. And if we don't have it, then we don't get that control. But if we have it, and of course, like every country, America usually thinks it's the best country ever. And so if we have it, then we will control it and develop it in good ways. And we'll make sure that it only kills the right people. The bad guys are going to do it. Right. So, and that's that begs an interesting question, too, because since it's not a U.S. central resolution, whose progress are we valuing? Uh, which, I mean, I think each state is valuing their own. So you... Neg is arguing that every state is going to see itself in that way and that each state is going to see itself as developing, as really forwarding technological progress in military tech and controlling it for their ends. And can we, can we individualize it like that? Because when I hear a resolution that's about states, I'm thinking like the debater and the judge are sort of like outside of the world, like judging it from the outside. Really, like this is what it looks like. Like you're on looking the world as if if you could put these puzzle pieces of the different states together, how would you arrange it to get the best outcome? But can you actually do that? I mean, like you, you. Well, no. But when you're when you're here, the resolution, like if you look at it, right? I, okay, never mind. That's not appropriate for the show. Um, it says states ought to ban lethal autonomous weapons. That you have to look at that from the outside. Like, you, I guess you could say that each state could value its own progress. Mm-hmm. But why is that a valuable thing? Like, I'm having trouble. Oh, I have seeing, no idea. Like, Everyone yeah, okay. loves progress. I think progress is really. It's why because progress is good. cool. That's why uh, people think that. that Pro- people progress also- is pretty cool. Look at this iPhone, right? I got this thing in eighth grade. It's still, yeah. It's still How's that? Has that iPhone helped you become a morally superior person in, over the last five years? Well, the fact that Noah just texted me and <laughs> he doesn't know when to come pick up his books, and I'm here, I could get it for him. Then does maybe that, that mean? Does, but has the iPhone led to uh, distractions or bad habits that you otherwise wouldn't have? Well, I actually deleted Instagram. But I'll get it back. Whenever I post on What's the Res, I get it back. So I'll still be there. (laughs) 
but I, I think delete- you just made my point. If you had to delete Instagram, okay, you fine, fine. The iPad is not necessarily progress. The reason people I don't like. I don't like progress necessarily. This is people think about progress in a specific area and then they broaden it out. You can talk about technological progress. No one actually thinks about moral progress. We have technologically progressed in America have over the last century. Have we morally regressed? Very much so. Okay, would you say... But, Very much so. Okay, but you always tell me that there's nothing new under the sun and that people have always been People this have way. always been terrible. Okay. But we have... We, uh, we can be a little bit better or worse... Pre, uh, and you think as a society? I think as a society, we're we're getting way off track here. We're but in as a, as a society, we have I mean we have lost sight of what does it mean for something to be true, good, or beautiful. All right, guys, that's a, some food for thought for you there for the audience. On to a util framework for uh, framework number three. Uh, run util with your criterion of efficiency. Now again, not saying this is particularly great. These at least were three that I thought of. I did. I, I determined not. I didn't want to read one of the research briefs to figure out what they mm-hmm. thought first. This is what I came up with. Uh, here, I would start with a cost-benefit analysis, focusing on the ways that uh, these lethal autonomous weapon systems would free up people to work on different projects in the military. Do we really need somebody uh, basically playing Xbox with a drone? Or can we automate that and free up a person to do something that only a person can do? Can we reper- Can we then free up he- both human capital and monetary capital to go in more efficient, effective ways so that we have a stronger military? So I would want to pair this with some specific defense evidence showing that these systems are generally not harmful. So you want to kind of already be like, no, affirmative is wrong to speculate that these are all going to cause that this is going to turn into Terminator with Cyberdyne. Yeah. AF is wrong. What we actually have the the what we have of these systems today is actually really beneficial. And here's where we can see this going forward in the future. Um, I think a great phrase to use there is that's what people thought when we invented X Y Z, right? Because I mean, every time people every time we're progressing, right? People get afraid and think that there's going to be consequences. And like, people said that about nukes, and now we're just in a nuclear standstill. So like, not so bad, right? Or any other thing that we're that is pretty bad, but like any other thing we're progressing in, um, come up with a different example, I guess. But Which, I mean, it, like, we used to have to actually get close to people with a sword or a spear to kill them. Right. We progressed, and now we can shoot them from thousands of miles away. Yeah. Like, progress. Right. Uh, okay. Well, there's so, there's <laughs> got to be an example there somewhere. We have to give Neg something. So I I don't think efficiency could ever win against a moral framework, just because that I think as okay. I think it should be able to, right, from an argumentative standpoint. When the judge hears it, I can't see it sticking because AF has such a good moral argument. We just talked about the categorical imperative and – How many times have you actually run a moral argument and stuck with it in an no, actual – No, but debate? like even – okay, util is a moral argument. Very few people, util, you included. Do, uh, you, util you, is a moral argument. It is. Really. It's close enough to not be efficiency. <laughs> like it's like, look, okay, fine, I get that. Yeah, maybe maybe lethal autonomous weapons, like we should ban them. Why? Because like they'll kill people unjustifiably. Forget that. Imagine if this soldier could do this job instead. Really? You think the judge is gonna well, fall for like, that? Uh, or, or flip it a little bit. Uh, it's like imagine imagine how many more lunch breaks the US Army could take because well, everybody's doing stuff. You could pair that with the uh, mental health harms of PTSD and now uh, decreasing that so people aren't killing people machines are killing people except that programmer psyches. that programmer is just gonna get mentally ill because is he he's very distant from that he isn't pulling a trigger he is not he doesn't see the enemy he doesn't even have to you can separate the programmer from the monitor of the system 
Uh, those are uh, you. You create a lot more distance from from death. PTSD is awesome, and that doesn't like. No, sorry. The, the argument. The argument. No, wait, 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 wait. wait. The <laughs> argument. Look at look at these sound bars. Look at me trying to regret that. No, oh. the argument about PTSD because PTSD is so awful is an awesome argument. That's your turn to have a really bad line yeah. taken completely out of context, made into a t-shirt. Look, there it is right there. 50, 51 minutes is where it, it is. Okay. So, but that doesn't fit under efficiency. That's a different value frame. True. So, um, but, it, well, no, it could fit under efficiency. I'm, I'm not tied to efficiency necessarily. Okay. There's probably a better word for it. Uh, but you're talking about better use of resources. And in this case, your use of re- your resources are people. So we're preserving... Uh, so you could maybe maybe you make a human dignity argument under here and say that like the um, because modern warfare uh, had modern modern technology allows for greater distance from actual war, which preserves fragile human psyches. I love that. I think that's great. That's wonderful. But. Yeah, and I I know I'm bashing a lot of these Neg frameworks that you put on here, and it's fine. It's it's difficult because Neg has such a hard time here. It's like who who would want well, autonomous I mean, lethal like lethal autonomous weapons? Like why why in the world does it sound like globalizing that technology would be a good thing? Right? It's more the the initial reaction is not in favor of the negative. I guess you could say. I'm just going to use one more uh, really bad cheesy uh, cartoon example. Okay, but this is basically. Um, did you ever see the cartoon show or play the game Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah. These are Dr. Robotnik's little <laughs> flying laser gun uh, things that can like, attack stuff and so on. And maybe if we have war with lethal autonomous weapons, uh, I, I, this would be a total hippie argument that I don't think would fly ever. But if you have these, then maybe we have far less war between actual people. Yeah, no, that's not. But people are still dying. Yeah, people are still going to die. People are going to die no matter what you do with weapons. I mean, people are always going to die. War will always happen. We will never get to the era of perfect peace. So, what's our conclusion on Neg? I I like Util because it's like you're scrambling for so many different things. It's like, oh, just put Util on there so we can get all of them, right? Like, Neg needs all the ground they're going to get if Affirmative is going to come up with all these speculative. Yeah, I mean, I I really think Neg has a. Neg needs to have a uh, practical defense. Defense and offense and military strength oriented approach. So we, the reason we need this is has got to be somehow related to our military strength as a country. And we also – As countries. As countries. Just, yeah. That's right. Not just us, but as countries. And you've also got to look at the um, – uh, NEG does not – we're not affirming that we actually have to have these. The only burden negative has is to negate the ban. So all we're doing is saying – we're not saying we're going to implement these systems. All we're saying is we're leaving the option for states to research and develop lethal autonomous weapons. Okay, so you think someone's going to define ban as ban in the private sector? Like states? Oh, Look, because they ban, do. I'd, I'd run T again. Yeah, okay. Ban means to get rid of entirely. Like it'd be a – Well, apparently eliminate means to physically dismantle. Guy at Harvard, I hope you're listening to this because I'm still <laughs> mad about that. I lost that round. Eliminate. He's like, no, we just have to take apart the nukes and put them in the garage. Like what? what did that? I couldn't win because what dictionary came lame. up with that? What? Like the urban dictionary? Either way, that made me mad. So what we're looking at on Neg. I'm not – so first framework, criterion pair, government stability, military strength. Neither of those two things do I see being – okay, especially military strength being valuable in and of itself enough to make a compelling argument, right? For all of these different states, government stability, I feel like someone could pull a really good non-uniqueness argument on that. It's like even if we don't have lethal autonomous weapons, 
stability will be at risk in these other areas. So it's it doesn't really solve the overall issue. Is a potential problem I can see with it. I know you're iffy on that one. Um, progress and control of tech, neither of which to be valued in and of themselves, especially when you can't bias towards a certain country. It's like, yeah, well, U.S. progress, like maybe that would make international policing better. I don't know, like something, right? But if it's all the states, it's, well, like it's just world progress in the form of removing humanity from deadly or lethal actions, right? So it's like, yay, success, right? (laughs) It's not to be valued. (laughs) Util efficiency, efficiency can't win against a moral framework. Like in any- So what do you propose as the better value criterion? Uh, well, I know Utah has to be in there somewhere, and I don't want to put, fill in morality just as the value. Um, I know dignity can't really be a criterion. Dignity does not pair with yeah. Utah. Well, I, it just can't be. A, it has to be something moral, not efficient. So you need something stronger. I, I mean, well. I still don't. I don't think you need a moral okay. Is there any is, with util? is there any? Well, yeah, but you got to try because it's progressive debate. No, just just embrace util as. So just util is like oh, there's no criterion because it's well, it is the criterion. It's not the value though. I mean, there, there's a hey, lot it's of debaters who have, who have kind of jettisoned the. Uh, I mean, uh, who have jettisoned the the value criterion? Is there any way to go all in on the psyche removing humans from? Lethal actions is a good thing because it's necessary, but we don't want to impose the consequences upon so people. I point out that you can, but you also make humans out to be really, really wimpy if you do that. But you could. Right, but if you do, can you pair that with a framework about treating those people as ends and not means? Not with util. I'm asking, can, so, we, yeah, can, we, you, could, can you run you a Kantian neg? Oh, no, that would be interesting. Okay, because that would be such – that is such a narrow uh, argument, right? Well, like it, but it's a, it's a really interesting argument because now you're getting to an interesting use of technology because you could make – your argument kind of writes itself then where you're at existent harm of uh, mental health harms in military service and then uh, technology replacing the mental harms. And so we can have a better use of military service personnel – uh, in support roles, in governing the tech, but using the tech to do the part that actually ends up harming mental stability. Because national defense for any country is a necessity, right. but it doesn't need to come with these deprecating factors that are Ooh. avoidable with uh-huh. lethal autonomous weapons. Look, maybe once in a blue moon we get to try a Kantian framework on NEG. Hey, I'm liking it. I like it. I mean, we're basically your uh, so your value criterion there would be something like I don't know. Um, human dignity. Human dignity is probably your value, and positive and mental health gains is your criterion, or something like that. What about? I think it's co- super specific. Kantian morality, mm-hmm. categorical imperative. Oh wait, yeah, categorical imperative. Just like F, it's like util, except it works. It's like util in the sense that it works on both cases, except it's con. Yeah. I mean, try it. Like, actually, give it a shot. Um, that seems like a viable route. Otherwise, just run morality. I, I think I think running morality util is more wimpy than removing uh. people from lethal autonomous actions. I know I'm going to do it one day because I'm going to have to, and you're going to look at me like whatever. I guess that's the way the world is now. And but, I'll just remind you that you we don't debate to win; we debate to have good debate. That's that's so right. Don't do it just because you think it'll win. I don't. I don't do that. I know. Okay, I had a bunch of basic arguments on our outline, but I think we've pretty much gone over those. In here, I mean, yes. I think 
AF, I would encourage AF to focus on the wrongness of machine killing. Um, look at the, the results that come about from an arms race. The example that came to my mind was the Cold War era in America and how that really led to a huge growth in the military industrial complex. Um, and then uh, third, I'd suggest uh, I, I would focus on value. Value lies in determining the moral duty prior to the existence of the tech. We are not very good as human beings at figuring out how to use, how we should or should not use technology after the fact. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep this as a middle school friendly episode and not list a whole bunch of ways that like modern tech type stuff. has gone wrong. Uh, but we, the way to figure out the moral use of technology is before it exists, not after it exists. Hey, we're trying with this resolution, right? Maybe these debaters right. will come up with something that the U.S. government can use. Sure, because <laughs> that's what happens in national debate. Morality util, government's like, wow! Functional policy coming out of a debate tournament. There's that, that, that's funny, Ethan. On NEG, um, I would focus on the necessity of having flexibility of researching and developing military tech. We're not going to lock ourselves into a box because we don't know what the future holds. Um, secondly, we can. I, I would argue that NEG should be focusing on solving AF speculative nightmarish scenarios. Um, we can put patches into pretty much any existent app and fix most problems with better coding. So apply that to the idea of lethal autonomous weapons going haywire. Lastly, um, Neg should at some point argue, we've not gone over this at all for this one, uh, morality cannot be separated from what is necessary for survival. Mm. I hate the argument, but it is accessible from the negative position. I just imagine, like, it's like, oh no, a system kills civilian. Lockheed Martin comes out and is like, introducing iOS 14. <laughs> just the new patchwork, iOS 14.1 for every death. That's, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but plausible. Okay. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to our uh, rather long, uh, almost Christmas episode. Uh, we hope this is helpful to you in getting ready for the January-February tournaments. Uh, it's going to be great competition looking at a fun resolution, and I'm sure it's going to go in all kinds of directions that we have no idea where the arguments are going are to move. Uh, Ethan, just in case any of our listeners want to give us feedback or tell stories, how can they, how can they reach out to us? If you guys want to get in touch with us, please do so at whatstheres at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstheres underscore, and I will re-download it and respond to those comments. Um, or you can go to our website, www.whatstheres.com. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.